I have a question. Are you mowing in the dark? Welcome back to the Mowing in the Dark podcast. I am your host, Aaron Sutter. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Friday episode. Sorry about that little cracking there, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm going back to puberty. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right, guys. So it's another beautiful day outside today. Another 80 degree day here in Michigan in April, no less. It's just really beautiful. Um, I'm sunburnt. My neck is sunburnt. My arms are sunburnt. I got a little sun on my face. It's just, it's good. Marcus and I, we did some brush hogging today with the Ventrax. So that was awesome. That's the first time that I ever brush hogged with the Ventrax. So that was a lot of fun. And we're just getting going with the business. I've got a couple more spring cleanups to do this week yet. I've got a couple to do tomorrow. And then I've got a commercial one that I need to do Saturday. So we're just, we're just keeping it going. But this weekend, we're, we're going to have rain. So we'll see how this all plays out. And then Monday, we're supposed to get snow. That's right. 80, de 80 degrees today, snow on Monday. That's how we roll here in Michigan. All right, guys, this is a Faith Friday episode, so let's get into it right after I play the show sponsor. As a lawn care provider, do you want to make a year-round income? Are you worried at the end of the lawn care season because you don't know how you're going to make it through the winter? Then you need to check out the 12-month contract from the Mowing in the Dark podcast. This is the same contract that Aaron uses to grow his lawn care business. This 100% editable 12-month contract template is available for only $5.99. The contract has rock-solid terms and conditions, so you are protected from all kinds of liability in lawn maintenance and snow removal. Get your 12-month contract at mowinginthedarkpodcast.com today. All right, guys. So jumping into Faith Friday today, we are in the book of Galatians. Last week, I did an episode for Easter. So that was out of the blue, off topic here. We're back in the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter two. If you're watching at home on Rumble or if you're listening at home, grab your Bible. Let's read along. So I got to give my disclaimer. I do it every time. I'm not a Bible scholar. I didn't go to Bible school. I just love the word of God and I love sharing it with people. I love giving my take on it and hopefully it helps you out. Hopefully it's getting into your ears and into your heart and into your mind. And so that's why I do these Faith Friday episodes. I think faith is a huge part of owning a business and running a business well. And so that's why I include these Faith Friday episodes on my podcast, because it's important. I think it's very important for a business owner and just a person in general. But I think it helps you run a healthier business when you have faith included. All right. So Galatians is a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Galatia. And he's kind of giving his, his resume, shall we say, uh, for why he's an apostle or how he can be an apostle because he wasn't 
one of the twelve. Paul was not one of the twelve disciples. All right, so we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, and then we go back to the beginning, and we go verse by verse and kind of break it down a little bit, try to help you understand what's going on, what's happening, and what Paul is saying, okay, and how we can apply that to our lives as best as I know how. All right, let's read Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with us, or with you, rather. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews, and they asked, and they asked, all they asked, rather, let's start again, verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid, afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners. No, I'm sorry, let me go back. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident 
that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And that ends Galatians chapter 2. This is going to be a good one. The first, the first part here is going to be a little slow, but as we get into it, we're going to discuss some things that people do today. All right, so let's, let's go back to verse 1. 14 years later, so to know what 14 years later he's talking about, we have to go back to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul had gone to Jerusalem, all right, and he he waited 14 more years, or I'm sorry, he went to, on a, on a journey to, where was it again? It was to, I can't remember. Uh, I'm looking for it here. Uh, he went to Arabia. All right, so Paul went to Arabia and Damascus. Sorry it took me so long. So, so he waited 14 years to go up to Jerusalem. All right, verse 1. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So he's just, he's continuing chapter 1. He's continuing the his kind of, his resume, and he's talking about going up to to Jerusalem finally and meeting with the apostles, all right? And he took some brothers with him, Barnabas and Titus, all right? These were two very helpful people in Paul's life, all right? Verse 2, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. All right. So he went on according, like in response to a revelation. So apparently God told Paul that he needed to go to Jerusalem and meet with the leaders of the church. And so that's what he did. And I think Paul here was not necessarily questioning his what God had told him to do, which was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but rather that he wanted to make sure and talk with the leaders of the church and, and really solidify that, yes, this is exactly what God has instructed you to do. We feel that as well. You need to go do it. And so that's what was confirmed to Paul in Jerusalem. Verse three, yet, Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So Titus, a Greek, not a Jew, so he's a Gentile, hasn't been circumcised. But the Jews, the the Judaizers, the circumcision party, these guys that believe that even if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you need to be circumcised as into the Jewish faith which made no sense. 
and you that when you're circumcised into the Jewish faith, now you're under the law. Now you need to be following the law. And Paul later on talks about the law and how it's worthless. All right. I mean, it's not worthless. He doesn't say it's worthless, but it says, he says you, it can't save us. So verse three, again, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So the leaders that Paul went and met with apparently were not the apostles necessarily. They were other leaders in the church who were trying to convince Paul that Gentiles, when they believe, need to be circumcised. I think that's what Paul is saying here in verse 3. All right, let's go on to verse 4. This matter arose. What matter? The, the, The circumcision matter. Okay. This matter arose because some false brothers, the, the circumcision party, they're false brothers because they're adding to the gospel. They're adding things into the gospel that are not there. The gospel does not say that you need to be circumcised to be to be a follower of Christ because you don't. All right. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Slaves to what? To the law. Jews are slaves to the law. If they don't believe in Jesus Christ and put their total trust and faith in him, they are slaves to the law. They have to fulfill the 800 and some laws that are placed upon them by the Jewish faith. And if they break one, the Bible says you've broken them all. And so that is, that's a hindrance. That's not, that's not helpful, right? Verse five, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. So they didn't, Paul, Barnabas, and Titus did not give in to these guys. They did not give in to these false brothers, the Judaizers, the circumcision party, trying to put more rules on, on Paul and Barnabas and Titus. They said, no way, we're not, we're not doing this at all. Here's the truth, and I'm sure Paul had no problem sharing the truth, as we'll see in a little bit. Verse 6, as for those who seem to be important, the guys, the guys that were leaders, the people that Paul met with, as for those who seem to be important, seemed is the, is the right word. I kind of put quotations right around that, seemed to be important, but weren't. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. So they didn't add anything other than circumcision, right? So um, what Paul is saying here is that God doesn't judge whether you're circumcised or not. Since Jesus came, it doesn't matter. Circumcision no longer matters. All right, verse 7. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been been to the Jews. All right, so if you didn't know, Peter, one of the 12 disciples, was entrusted, was kind of put in the position of being the leader of the, the Jewish 
believers, the, the Jewish people who believed in Jesus Christ. He was, he was the leader of that Jewish Christian church, shall we say. We'll, we'll put it that way, just to differentiate, okay? And these men, these Judaizers, did realize, they did understand that Paul was entrusted with the gospel to take it to the Gentiles, but they wanted him to have these people circumcised. Paul wasn't having any of it. Verse 8, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, we just see it again. Verse 9, James, Peter, and John. Who's James? James, the brother of Jesus. Peter, the 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 main Peter, you know, one of the 12 disciples, kind of the lead the ringleader of the 12 disciples, if you will. And John, another, another disciple, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, pillars in the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. So these leaders of the church, they had never met Paul. Paul was on the road to he was on the road to Emmaus. All right? God appeared and he was in the process of persecuting the church. And God came down in a flash of light and spoke to Paul in a loud voice and said, "Paul, Paul or Saul at the time, but we'll say Paul just so it's not confusing. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? And Paul was struck blind because the light was so bright and God put scales. The Bible says he put scales on Paul's eyes. And so Paul was led around by the hand and he was taught by God. And I believe it was Jesus Christ himself that taught Paul all that he learned about the gospel. All right. Now, that might not be true, but that's what I believe, okay? I'm just going to put a caveat there. I could be wrong. Comment below if you're watching on Rumble. Let me know if I'm wrong, okay? Um, let's keep going here. Um, verse 10. Uh, so, say they, re they recognize, verse 9, they recognize that Paul was entrusted to take the, the gospel to the Gentiles, just like Peter was to the Jews. All right, verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So these three men, James, Peter, and John, just asked Paul, remember the poor, go to the poor, continue to serve the poor, which is exactly what Paul wanted to do in the first place. Verse 11. Now we get into the good stuff. All right. You got to understand something about Paul and Peter. They are two. They are cut from the same cloth. All right. Peter is loud and boisterous and in your face. And Paul is loud and boisterous and in your face. These guys are so similar that they do not get along well. That's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing here. They probably don't get along too well. We have that in the church. You guys know it. I know it too. All right. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, so they're in Antioch right now. 
I opposed him to his face, right to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Verse 12, before certain men came from James, so there was a group of men that were with James and they came to Antioch. He used to eat with the Gentiles. So Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He was having a good time. He was, he was living a Christian life. He wasn't doing anything wrong. All right. He would eat with the Gentiles. But when the, when the guys from James, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So Paul Peter was like, oh man, what are they going to think of me? I'm, uh, I'm a Jew. I'm circumcised. I'm eating with Gentiles who aren't circumcised. According to Jews, that's not allowed. So I'm going to back off. I'm going to back off. Even though these guys over here, these Gentiles are believers in Jesus Christ, I'm going to back off and and disassociate with them. All right. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So even, even Paul, Paul's right-hand man, Barnabas, was led astray. He was drawing back from the Gentiles too. And Peter or Paul is like, no way, we're not having this. And that's what we do sometimes, don't we? Sometimes I've noticed this, okay? I, it, this happened just a couple of years ago. So I was at a bowling alley with friends. We we all had some beers and we were just having a good time. No one was getting drunk. We weren't getting wasted. We had a beer. I had two beers. All right. And, and I only had two beers because someone at the table bought me a second one. I didn't really want a second one, but they bought me one, so I drank it. Someone from a ch- my former church, the church that I go back to now, showed up, and they were having dinner, and they walked up to the table said, Hi, how you doing? Oh, it looks like you guys are having a good time. And I felt like, oh, man. I'm going to hide this. I'm going to hide this beer because I don't want them to see what I'm doing. I have freedom. I have freedom in Christ. I don't have to hide that. I don't have to hide that. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not, I'm not getting inebriated. I'm not getting drunk. I'm, I'm simply enjoying a glass of beer but I wanted to hide that. I wanted to put it away because they might think bad of me. Now, there are some things that we are convicted by the Holy Spirit on, all right? Sin. When we have sin in our lives, we are convicted about that. And when people come around that we know and we're living in sin, we feel convicted by that. And we should. We should feel convicted by that. But when, you, when you're doing something that you know is within your freedom as a believer, you should not feel convicted about that. The only caveat that I will say is that you do not want to be a stumbling block to someone else, to another believer. So in my case, I stopped drinking altogether. I don't drink alcohol anymore. The reason why if there is a believer who, who walks up to my table like these nice folks did and I'm having a beer, 
I don't want this person who might be an alcoholic to say, oh, you're drinking. That's that. I, and they might be a new believer and they don't understand the freedom that we have. And, and he might be saying, you're, you're doing the very thing that, that I'm addicted to. Why would you do that? That's got to be a sin. The Bible doesn't call drinking, doesn't say that drinking alcohol is a sin. It, say, it says that getting drunk is a sin. And there is a fine line between drunk and not drunk. And I don't want to be anywhere near that line. So I just decided to stop. And I don't want to make someone else stumble because of my actions. So that's the caveat that I give there in verse, what was it, 13? I think it was 13. Yes, it was 13. All right, verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, this is, he's just going into the story. He's telling, he confronted Peter to his face. Acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live, a, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he's, Paul is calling out Peter and he's saying, you live, you're a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile when these guys aren't around. But then when these guys came around, now you want the Gentiles to live, to live like these guys, the, the, the circumcision party, the Jews. What's with this, Peter? What's going on here? You're, you're just going against the gospel. How dare you? Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth, because Paul was a Jew by birth, we who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners. Know that, I'm sorry, let me go back. They split this into two verses here, and there's no period, all right? But I, I feel like my brain feels like there should be a period there. So verse 14 again, or I'm sorry, verse, verse 15 and 16. Here we go. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, period. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the law. The law cannot save us. The law has no power anymore to, to save us, to have anything. In the Old Testament, yes, they could give sacrifices and that would absolve them of their sins. Once a year, they'd have to go back and do it again. They'd have to go back and constantly give sacrifices. Jesus was the final sacrifice. All right, so we don't have to do that anymore. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law. You cannot be justified by observing the law. You cannot be saved by observing the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only way you can be saved. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by observing the law. 
because by observing the law, no one will be justified. That's exactly what I just said, is that no one is going to be saved by the law. The law is there to let us know that we are sinful. We are sinners. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot make it to heaven by observing the law. The law is there to make sure that we know that we are sinners. We are separate from God. We cannot get to God through the law. Verse 17, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. We are all sinners, right? But he's saying here, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, we put our faith in Jesus Christ to be justified, all right? Justification means that we, when God looks at us, he sees Christ, all right? He sees the blood of Christ. We are justified. We, God looks on us as if we never sinned. When we believe on Jesus Christ, that's justification, all right? Uh, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, and of course we are, all of us are, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? So if, if we're sinners and we believe in Christ, yet we continue to sin, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not, Paul says. Verse 18, if... I rebuild what I destroy. I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Now this kind of, it's kind of a bad example today, but if you build something up and then you destroy it and then you rebuild it again, I don't really see how that's breaking the law, but I can see his point. Like if I build something up and tear it down and build it up again, that, that has no meaning. That has no meaning. I, I just built it, tore it down, and built it up again. All right? Verse 19, for, the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. All right, let me go to my commentary because that, that makes not a lot of sense to me right now at this point. So I want to read that. I want to read what it says. All right. This is kind of long, but I hope it helps you. Um, this is the Believer's Bible Commentary, and I really like it. It's kind of concise, so it, it helps me out a lot. I read this as I'm studying to do these podcast episodes. All right, 219. The penalty for breaking the law is death. As a sinner, I had broken the law. Therefore, it condemned me to die. But Christ paid the penalty of the broken law for me by dying in my place. Thus, when Christ died, I died. He died to the law in the sense that he met all its righteous demands. Therefore, in Christ, I too have died to the law. All right. I hope that's helpful to you. All right. Let's keep going here. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, nailed to the tree. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. All right, so this is a very popular verse, and it, it should be. I have been crucified with Christ. I died. I died with Christ. 
I no longer live. My, my flesh, my flesh no longer lives, but it is Christ who lives in me and is changing me from the inside out. Apart from Christ, I have, I cannot change my sinful behavior. But what is, what he's saying here is that with Christ, I can change my sinful behavior, not me, but Christ in me can change my sinful behavior. All right, let's keep going here. We're almost done. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We saw that last week with Easter. Jesus Christ gave himself willingly for you and I. We are justified if we believe in him. That's amazing. It is an amazing gift that we no longer have to be under the law. Now, if we don't believe in Christ, we are under the law. We are. And the law says we're all sinners. And if we, if we are under the law, we face God's judgment. If we're under the law, we all die. Because we broke, we have broken God's law. Every single one of us. Bar none, every single human being on the face of this planet has broken the law of God. And because of that, because he is holy, because God is holy, he is also just. Yes, he's loving, but he's just. And his justice must be served or else he is not loving. God has to continue to be love and justice at the same time. It's part it's his nature. And there's way more to God's God's nature than that. But love and justice are parts of who he is. And if we choose, if we choose, it's our choice. God already chose to give his son Jesus already died on the cross. The gift has already been given. But if we choose to refuse that gift, we are under the law. And the law says, if you break God's law, you die. Blood has to be shed. We see that all through the Old Testament. To absolve sins... Blood has to be shed. It's the way God set it up. So if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're under the law. I, I, can't, I can't change it for you. You have to believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead and you will be saved.
That's it. That's it. Now, just like Christ died for you, now you got to die for him. You've got to die to your will. You've got to die to your desires. You've got to die to your sinful nature. Just like he died for you, you got to die for him. That's what an an uh, that's what the Christian world today, this this very mealy mouthed, um, um, uh, 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 um, motivational speech, church today, does not understand. They don't get it. Just like Christ died for you, you got to die for him. You got to die to yourself, your desires, your wants. You have got to die for him. And we we do that over time. We die to our flesh over time. If Christ lives in us, we die to our flesh over time and we give up we give up those things that our flesh desires over time. It's called sanctification. Over time, God works in our hearts and he, he works and he speaks to us and he, he convicts us of sin. But so often in the church today, the modern church today, oh, it's okay. You want to go sleep with your boyfriend? You've been a Christian for 10 years. You're sleeping with your boyfriend. It's okay. It's okay. God loves you. God loves you. Yes, he does. But if we don't see fruit, if if we don't start dying to the flesh, to our desires, maybe we're not saved. You have to examine yourself. Paul says later in the book, you ha- in, in the Bible, you have to examine yourself. Put yourself to the test. Are you truly saved? It's Paul, Paul says, test your faith. God doesn't test your faith. You need to test your faith to be sure that you're in the faith. Because if you're not, then you're still under the law and you will still die and be separated from Christ. You've got to examine yourself. You've got to be sure that you're in the faith. I did this just a couple years ago. I examined myself and I realized I'm not in the faith. I have no fruit to show. I've got nothing. And I, I I guess I call it rededicated my life to Christ. But really, it was coming to Christ for the first time. Because I was under the law. I found that I was under the law. I was not alive in Christ. You've got to examine yourself. Be sure that you're in the faith. Get in the word. Read daily. Even even if you're not sure, 
even if you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this whole God thing is real. Get in the Bible and read it and continue to read it and read it and read it day in, day out, every single day. Read it. Because eventually the Holy Spirit is going to work in your heart. He is going to call you. If you have not found him yet, he will call you. And he will say, I want you to be mine. Choose me. I'm here. I'm waiting for you. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Let's finish up. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we could be saved through the law, Christ had did not need to die. There was no reason for Christ to die because we've already had the law before Christ came. We've had the law since Moses. We didn't need Christ if the law could save us. The law cannot save us. We needed God to come in the flesh, to walk among us, to live a sinless, perfect life as a man. He needed to die, to shed his blood, a perfect, spotless lamb, so that he could atone for the sins of man. And then he rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. And what happens when you bring, in the Old Testament, when you bring your sacrifice to the priest to be offered to God? You had to bring your sacrifice to God. You had to bring it to the priest. The priest was not going to come and find you and, and make you bring him a sacrifice. You had to humble yourself, take the perfect lamb, the best lamb that you had, the best of the best, the spotless lamb, no blemishes, nothing. Bring that lamb. It might have been your only lamb. Bring that lamb to the priest. You had to willingly bring that lamb to the priest so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And in the same way, you have to bring your life to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and you have to lay it before him. And you have to say, Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead And just like Jesus died on that cross, now you have to lay down your life and die to yourself. That's the gospel. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. I hope you guys are doing that today. 
I hope there's someone out there who's listening or watching on Rumble who does that today. Says, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't keep living like this. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep walking through this mud. I can't, I can't stand feeling the, these feelings that I have any longer. I can't take it. I can't live with the way that I've been living. I can't continue this. Something's got to change. Bring your life. Bring your life, hand it to the priest and say, I believe that Jesus Christ, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart with every fiber of my being that God raised him from the dead. And when you do that, when you confess to others that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not just saying it out loud in a vacuum. Jesus is Lord. No. It says confess. What is confessing? Confessing is telling someone else. Confessing. I confess to you, brothers. Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. When you do that, you will be saved. It's what the Bible says. I believe it. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. I really hope this was helpful for you. I, I hope that you got something out of this today. If, if your life is being changed slowly over time with these, with these episodes, let me know. Message me. Message me on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, on YouTube, on Rumble. Message me. Let me know. I would love to know. I would love to share your story. I'd love to share stories of life change on here. It doesn't even have to be from this podcast. If your life has been changed by Jesus Christ, message me. I'd love to share it on the Faith Friday episodes. I'd love to do a segment on here where I share a story of life change. I would love to. That would be awesome. So if you have a story of life change, Write it out. Send it to me. Email it to lansinglawnservice at gmail.com. I would love to read it on here on, on air. If you're willing to do that, just stories of life change. I would love that. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next Faith Friday episode.